Hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, my guest is Kyle Ford, all the way from, I believe, Kitchener. Is that correct, Kyle? That's right, Dave. All right. So if you're not familiar with Kyle, he is a real estate entrepreneur. He's also a mortgage broker and a reformed ex-financial planner. So good to have you on the call here, Kyle. Really looking forward to chatting with you, especially about what you're up to with the BRRRR strategy on bigger buildings. So why don't you start off by telling us, we'll get into a little bit more about your background in a minute or two here, but I'm really curious from your perspective as a former financial planner, why did you make that switch and why did you change gears, practically change professions and start focusing on real estate instead of Traditional finance. Were you a traditional financial planner in the, in the past? Were you working? So I was a financial advisor with a major insurance company, one under the sun and one with a certain freedom day. Okay. So I won't name names, but uh, a couple major companies. Lots of good things to say about both organizations. But as a whole, working as an independent financial advisor, I was working with a lot of friends and family. I was working with people that I knew. And at the time, I was 23 when I started. And I was the one doing their projections and doing their retirement calculations and their income planning. And pretty much no matter how I sliced it, they were taking a pay cut in retirement. Yeah. And at 23 years old, I wanted to retire early and with more money. So I knew that I saw some gaps there. And these were people that were doing things right. They had their houses paid or doing things, I'll say, right. They had their houses paid off. They were doing what they were told. They were told, exactly. They had their houses paid off. They had lots of money in their registered funds. But the rates of return just weren't there. And as the advisor, there would be times where I thought I was doing a very good job and really, really setting them up on a good plan. And then somebody would fart in Egypt and their portfolio would drop 20%. And I just didn't like that. So I started looking into real estate. I started investing in real estate. And the returns on that side versus in the, the markets were night and day for me. And I just slowly transitioned more and more into real estate until... January of 2018 when I sold my financial business. All right, very cool. And the, yeah, I've, I do have a chip on my shoulder against the, the financial planning business. My brother was a financial planner for 23 years. Same exact scenario, except he he didn't get smart and get out of it as fast as you did. And again, that's the big challenge for the planners, right? You do the best job you can for people. And you know if things are going well, you look pretty good. But even when things are going well, especially here in Canada, the, the management expenses that get chopped right off the top are brutal. So that like even if you're doing really well, you're not doing all that well when you take that into account. And then if you're not doing well, if it, if it tanks, the financial companies keep taking the management expense ratios out of your shrinking and shrinking and shrinking capital fund. So that was one of my big hangups about the whole industry. I actually took the training and the course and the, and the whole bit to become a financial planner. Then I kind of studied a little bit about mutual funds and said, I don't like these things. I don't, I don't think I buy any of these. Why do I want to schlep them to other people? So, so hats off to you for kind of seeing the light and seeing, you know, at that young age, the difference between, you know, the fact that it's bullshit that if people do what they're told that they're, they're supposed to do, that they're going to be able to be financially free. It just, doesn't seem to work that way. Yeah, and one of the things that became evidently apparent to me was you cannot get rich giving somebody else your money to manage. 
And that just that doesn't mean you don't have a great team of people, you know, accountants, lawyers, mortgage brokers, insurance agents, maybe a fee for service financial planner who's actually doing the plan for you, not investing your money. So I absolutely believe in getting people to help you, but I don't know anybody who's ever gotten rich off mutual funds. Yeah. I know some rich people who put money in the mutual fund, but that was because their business or their real estate that got them there. But I don't know anybody who's became independently wealthy off mutual funds, but I know several people who have off real estate. So that was the paradigm shift for me. Yeah, that's awesome, my friend. So, yeah, so that that kind of brings a big concept to mind, a big idea to mind, you know, the, the pros and cons, real estate versus other investment vehicles. One of them being control, right? So you talk about, you know, if you put all of your money into an advisor's hands, it's you, you don't know too many people that have really become rich that way, especially in mutual funds. Beautiful thing about real estate is we have so much more control over that asset versus stocks, bonds, mutual funds, pretty much anything else. You want to talk briefly a little bit about that? Yeah, and that's going back to the, the fart in Egypt comment that I made. Some of those same friends and family that were my clients on the financial side are now investment partners on my real estate side. And when I'm talking to them today, uh, in the midst, you know, if we can say the date, we're in the middle of a global pandemic at the moment. And as of now, my rents are all 100% collected. The value of my assets haven't changed. If anything, we're doing some value added renovations on some properties, and we're still increasing those values. My private borrowers, or my private lenders, pardon me, all of their interest checks are being paid on time at their 10 to 12% rate of return. So that the control and the stability of real estate is really where I'm able to deliver on, on promises and commitments that I've made to people. At yeah. the end of the day, where, you know, there's always a, a risk of something happening, but I certainly am much more confident with the control that I can provide my partners and lenders in the real estate world as opposed to the traditional financial model. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. Just out of curiosity... Kyle, do you use investors? Do you bring them on with self-directed RSPs and that sort of thing nowadays? So, Yeah, big time. Big time. I'm major into RSP lending. So as a mortgage broker, I work on that side as well, helping helping people direct their funds into mortgage lending opportunities. Yeah, We do creative stuff using the TFSA maximizer. So helping people lend on a deal where they got their RSP and TFSA in it. I don't want to use the word manipulating, but directing the return into the TFSA as opposed to the RRSP. So taking some of those, you know, I, I never speak ill of the financial world because I came from that and there's, I learned a lot there. I yeah. just, I feel like I have a duty to focus on what I know is better now. So Yeah. And I'll bash the hell out of them for you. So don't worry about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Kyle. No, I love that. I love, I love what you've done. So first of all, you know, you, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you, you went into financial planning and it's it's a decent profession the whole bit, but you saw the light, you saw the reality. I'd venture to say you saw a lot of the smoke and mirrored bullshit that goes on. You got into real estate investing. And I think it's really smart what you've done because you've gone from being a financial planner to being a mortgage broker and an active investor yourself. So you're you're buying properties, you're building up your portfolio, you're bringing on investor partners into those deals, plus you're a mortgage broker, so you're able to get people financing for all sorts of different properties on their own or to do whatever the heck they want, you know, their own personal residence, even if they want to. And you're also able to offer 
investors a different vehicle through that channel as well, not even necessarily directly investing with you. So that's, you've got a nice package or suite of, of services that you're offering. Yeah. And becoming a mortgage broker was kind of an aha moment in my last year as a financial advisor, because if I tried to have a meeting to talk about your insurance needs, nobody wanted to go to that meeting. Yeah. But if I wanted to talk, but they wanted, they were begging to meet with me and would work around my schedule if I taught them how to buy an investment property. So what started happening in the last year is I wasn't making any money as a financial advisor because nobody wanted that help. They wanted help with real estate. And the mortgage broker was a great way to monetize that. Yeah. I was able to say, I can show you how to buy an investment property. One of the most important things to, about that is setting up your finance, your mortgages, and your lending in the right way. I can help with that. So yeah. I was able to monetize the advice by lending the money to do the real estate deal. Well, and fair is fair, right? I mean, you got to get compensated. It just makes sense. Hey, you know what? I want to ask you something, Kyle, because you come from, from this world, you know, financial planning and now mortgage broker services, and, and you're very familiar with bringing in capital from investors, you know, first as a financial advisor and, you know, doing it that way. Tell me a little bit about your take on mom and pop real estate investors like myself who are not financial planners, who are not mortgage brokers, who are not licensed and raising capital. What are some of the the things that the big mistakes you see people making in that field or have you noticed any? Yeah, a couple of things. High net worth people, they're general, they're more concerned about preservation than growth. They're more concerned about losing what they have than growing it exponentially. So throwing 12%, 20% at somebody who's new to this is going to scare them because they've been programmed to believe that the higher the rate of return, there's more risk. risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who taught us that, right? So that's what they believe. So when people are going after a new deal, or a new lender, I should say, they're, oh, I'm going to pay you 12%. Like, look at all the money you're going to make. Look at all the money you're going to make. Well, unless that person really understands real estate, they might be thinking this is a risky deal. Too good so, to be true. And it's too good to be true, right? That's the Canadian way. If it, so what I find is more important to them, is instead of talking about the high rate of return, let's talk about the security first. Let's talk, what's most important to you, Mr. and Mrs. Investor? Okay, security, you want stability, you're looking for income. Great, those are standard things that we hear. Does your current investments offer those things? And shut up. Don't tell them that. Let them talk that out. Most people believe that their mutual funds are secured by the bank. I don't know who's taught them that. I can't tell you how many people say, well, it's secured by the bank. And they don't even really know what that means. So... And obviously, they haven't really taken a look at their mutual fund statement. No, just certainly no. not. Yeah. So guess. it's very important to break that down a little bit and say, let's talk about the security in your actual investments. And if I could show you something that offers more security, stable, consistent income, and it is a better rate of return, is that something that you would look at rather than just throwing, I got a triplex in Kitchener, it's 12% return. Because their guards are going to go up. So focus on what they're looking, working with now. And if you can, delicately, try to poke a couple holes in it. And most of us who are, that are listening to this know the, some of the flaws in the conventional market or the conventional market. So eloquently talk to them, poke some holes, and then talk about the security more than the high rate of return. 
I like that. That's great advice. Any suggestions for people about staying compliant with the Ontario Security Commission? Stay compliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't mess around. You know, when you're lending, when you're raising capital, and I don't claim to be an expert in this, you know, make sure you're not guaranteeing anything. First of all, you're, it's going to turn your investors off. When people hear the word guaranteed, they get suspicious. So spotty senses go off. The spotty sense go off. So using words like fixed and secured is totally okay. I'm going to offer you a fixed rate of return. It's secured on real estate. So if I don't pay you that return, you can foreclose on my property or power of sale my property to recoup your investment. It's not guaranteed. The market could drop and that money could not be there. But what I'm willing to do is personally guarantee it so you can go after other assets. So in terms of staying compliant, I'm seeing a lot more people just blasting things out on social media. And I don't claim to be an expert on it, but you need to be careful with what you're doing. Yeah, I completely agree, Kyle, for sure. Yeah, so again, you, you talked about focusing on accredited investors. The other area that we're, so we're, you know, as mom and pop investors, we're not allowed to raise capital from the general public, right? Yep. The Securities Commission says that's a big no-no. You need to be licensed, all that kind of stuff, or get an offering memorandum, et cetera. We can focus on accredited investors, or we can focus on people that are close friends and family and work associates, that sort of thing. Those are some other options there. We only got a couple of minutes here left here, Kyle, but tell me, because you do so much interesting stuff, but tell me a little bit about doing the Burr strategy with big buildings, because most of us are familiar with the, the Burr strategy with a single family home and maybe slapping a, a suite in it and then increasing the value, refinancing, all that good stuff. Tell me what you're doing with, with Burr on a bigger scale. So the, the building that a lot of people know that I've done is my 10-unit building in Cambridge. I call them townhouse-style apartments. So it's a center hallway with five on either side. They're two-story with full-finished basements. I purchased the property for $1.3 million. I just had it appraised based on income for $3.4 million. Nice. Congratulations. Um, and we were into it for about one point two. So between interest, fees, construction costs, Total investment was $2.5 million with an income approach appraisal at $3.4 million. So very big upside. But to talk about that deal and those numbers, I always like it to break it down. I didn't start with a 10-unit building. I started with a single-family home. Mm-hmm. I fixed it up, refinanced it, and rented it out. Then I did a couple with triplexes. Then I did started doing duplex conversions. And I really honed in on my systems and processes to make sure that I understood what I was doing. Then when it came to the 10-unit project, the year before that, I did seven flips. In 2018, I did seven flips. So in 2019, when I was going to close on this 10-unit building, I looked at it as, well, now I'm just doing 10 flips this year, except all in one location. And instead of looking at it as this big, massive project, I looked at it as 10 single-family homes. All I did was take my single-family model and 10x, and it sounds so Grant Cardone here, but I 10x everything. It was times 10, not 10 units to, to get my projections, to get my numbers. And then what I've actually found is the economies of scale of doing a big building versus single family homes. My trades were cheaper. I ordered, it was really cool. I ordered a 52 foot trailer full of supply materials. And when they were dropping it off, I was like, well, how do I get all my stuff out? We got to move everybody else's stuff. And they're like, no, sir, like you have the whole trailer. Like the whole trailer. So I, that was really neat. So the big question that people asked here was, 
if you bought this 10 unit building, how did you get the tenants out? Because it was fully occupied when I bought it. And I certainly, I hate the word renovation. To me, the word renovation means somebody who's going to say they're renovating. They don't. They slap a coat of paint on, kick the tenants out, and jack the rent. That is not what I did here. I did an N13 construction notice. The building was in significant disrepair. There was foundation issues. There were sewage backup issues, electrical issues, drywall flooring. Like we did start to finish, soup to nuts, we renovated this whole building. So what we did, we treated the tenants with dignity and respect. We served them the notice. We offered cash. We helped them move. We helped them find new places. And we were able to, within four and a half months, fully wow. empty the building. Yeah, wow. four and a half months. That's impressive. It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty tense. Oh, that's very impressive. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, and I think the key is that a lot of people here, they go in and they try to be the big bad landlord. They try to be sneaky. They try to do shady things. Be honest and upfront with people. These yeah. people knew the building was in rough shape. They've been living there. They've been living there. They knew about the sewage backups. Believe me, they knew. Yeah, so, yes. and we were we treated them with dignity. We didn't try to do any, oh, my dad's moving in. I need the unit. And they knew we were going to renovate and increase the rents. They were well aware. And what we did, and we were able to come to an agreement for signed N9s from all 10 tenants. There's actually only eight, two of them left automatically or right away. N9 small the tenants. They had some money in their pocket. They found a new place to live, and we went on from there. Nice, nice, awesome, Kyle. Time flies when we're having fun. If people want to find out more about Kyle Ford, what should they do? Shoot me an email. It's Kyle at Bremac Real Estate, B-R-E-M-A-C Real Estate dot com, or you can check out my website, BremacRealEstate.com. I'm a licensed mortgage agent with Mortgage Alliance. I specifically work with investors. So anybody looking for creative financing techniques, anything like that, happy, happy to help. So Awesome, Kyle. Thank you very much. Great chatting well, thanks, with Dave. you. Yep. All right, everybody, take care, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. Be very, very much appreciated. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.